James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, Paul says, Know this, sorry, not Paul, James. I'm still a little jet lagged here. So, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. <clears throat> but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, he dece but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained. From the world. Now, we're going to try to cover all of this tonight, and I believe, Lord willing, we'll be able to. James, if you've been with us at all, and if not, let me catch you up, has been talking so far in chapter 1 in general terms to encourage his hearers with seeing the big picture. For example, we started off with, count it all joy when you face trials. Do you need wisdom? Ask and don't doubt. Remain steadfast under trial. You will be rewarded. Then he goes on and says, God doesn't tempt you. This temptation is coming from you. And he also then said, God was a good God who gives good gifts. By the way, if you ever struggle with the fact that God's good, you've got to go back to the cross. Go back to Ephesians. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 real quickly. It's a passage we all know and probably could quote. But I want you to look at it again. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a what? It's a gift of God, not as a result of your works, so that no one may boast. Now jump over to Romans. Go back to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, look at verse 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, I've heard too many people over the years, even in the church, say, well, nothing good ever happens to me. And the prophet in me wants to say, what did you just say about your salvation? You know what I'm saying? If nothing good ever happens to you, what did you just say about what Jesus went through for you? Your salvation is a gift. Everything else is gravy. And we're going to look at being blessed a little bit tonight, but we'll do that in a little bit. But the main thing I want you to grasp for where we feel like God, I feel like God wants us to go tonight in our study is this, is that James has been talking in big picture things. But now starting in verse 19, he's going to start getting a little bit more specific. And that's going to be very helpful for us. And I'm going to try my hardest to slow down a little bit tonight because of the fact that what we're going to be looking at is so important, I don't want to rush through it. I really want prayerfully to let this truth sink in because it's something every single one of us needs. James now in verse 19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now stop for a second and let that sink in. Are we not living in a world today that needs some people that are slow to speak, slow to get angry, quick to listen? And who are the only people that are capable of doing such things? Those of us who have the Spirit of God within us. Those of us who know the Lord and have been saved, but know also how to walk in the Spirit. You can be saved and not live this out. And so we want to slow down a little bit. And this is something God's been speaking to me about. He's been, hopefully he'll be speaking to you about this as well. In order for the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us, we need to learn how to walk in the Spirit, be sensitive to the Spirit, hear the Spirit, and don't say anything ever until the Spirit of God gives us what to say and how to respond. Too many Christians try to live by their principles or by their policies or, well, the way I do it. No, 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 no. We need to know how to let the Spirit of God speak through us and when to speak and when not to speak. When to say something, when not to say something. And that's why a lot of us try to turn the Christian life into a set of rules. Well, in this situation, what should I do? My question, my answer is always going to be, what's the Lord telling you? Well, I don't know. Well, that's a bigger problem. Because the real issue is Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. But none of us, or I can't say none of us, but many of us have never learned the process of becoming in tune with the Spirit. Did not Jesus say, and we're not going to go there because of time, in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, as he was teaching about the indwelling Holy Spirit and the abiding relationship and all that, did he not say that the Holy Spirit, it's a good thing that the, Jesus went away so the Holy Spirit could come and be within all of us? And he will guide us into all the truth. He'll take what's from the Father and make it known to us. He'll lead us. He'll guide us. He'll teach us. And so, folks, in order for us to learn how to do this, we must learn how to be sensitive to when the Spirit is speaking. And by the way, he's talking a lot more than people realize. You've just never learned to hear him. I'll illustrate it to you this way. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But just think to yourself, I'm going to ask right now, and I know that if I ask this and you asked you to raise your hands, most of you would raise your hand. How many of you struggle with hearing God speak? And I've asked this question all over the, the country in the churches that I speak at, and most everybody raises their hand and say, I really have a hard time hearing God speak. And then I'll ask you this question. I'll say, how many of you have ever had Satan put a thought in your head? And everybody puts their hand up. And then I point this out to you. Listen. Satan doesn't live inside of you. Yet you've just said you have trouble hearing God speak, but you've got no problem hearing Satan speak. You will learn that the Holy Spirit will put thoughts in your head. You'll learn to recognize, and the Bible talks in the book of 2 Corinthians about taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. In order to be one of these men and women who walk in the Spirit, who are led of the Spirit, who don't speak in a hurry, who let the Spirit of God show them when to speak, who don't get angry right away. Oh, by the way, being angry is okay, but in your anger, don't sin. We need to become people who know how to recognize when the Spirit of God is saying to us, I know you want to say something right now, but don't. But Lord, they need to hear. No, no, no. I'll take care of it. Don't be in a rush. I was just over in Israel, as a lot of you know, and as we were going through Israel, a lot of the people that were giving us tours were Jewish, but not believers. 
very devout, but they don't know Jesus. And I turned to one of the, I was one of three pastors from our group that were leading this tour. And I turned to one of the pastors and I said, because he's done many trips to Israel. This is my, that was my first. He's done many, many, many. I said, how many times have you led a group and the Christians in the group make it their goal to get the tour guide saved? And he said, way too many. Because they hadn't learned how to let the Spirit know when to plant a seed, when to water, when to leave it alone. Remember how in Matthew 16, Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? By the way, I had the privilege of preaching in that spot. In the exact spot where he asked them that question, which was cool. But if you keep reading in Matthew 16, after Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, flesh and blood hasn't opened your eyes. My father has opened your eyes. Verse 20, he says, it says he strictly charged them not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Wait a minute. Peter got it right. Don't you think Jesus would have said, you get the right answer. Now go tell everybody. No, he's in control of when we even tell people about Jesus. This is his work, not ours. And so we have not even learned how to share the gospel under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we've come up with our strategies and our, and our programs and our systems on how to get the gospel out there. And we fight over methods of evangelism. And Christians today don't know how to let the Spirit guide them in their words. And it's because we have a tendency to speak before we Listen, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to take you to a story in the Old Testament that will be a wonderful illustration of what we're talking about here. In order to live out of the power and the control of the Holy Spirit, instead of living out of our flesh, we need to know how to recognize when the Spirit is talking. So go to 1 Samuel chapter 25. This is one of the most amazing examples of this. I've known this story for years, but I've never really looked at it from this angle until just recently when I was asked to do a marriage conference. 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 1 and all the way to verse 35. Now, it says, now Samuel died. This is important, by the way. Samuel was the voice of God to David, was he not? Samuel dies, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and his name of his wife, Abigail. Now the woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. Now, when David's young men came, they said to all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? 
There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. Doesn't sound like he prayed. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. Now, we're going to stop here in the story. Let me catch you up, because you might not know what's really going on. David, as you know, is running from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him, and he's got a band of mighty men with him. Well, while they're out there doing this, they actually worked. How they worked was the shepherds of Nabal were guarding their sheep and the flocks, and David's men were protecting them from invading armies or wild animals. And they took real good care of them so that the flock prospered. And it was very common when that happened, when it was shearing time, to share some of the proceeds. And so he, David sent some of his men to say, hey, we, we served as your bodyguards for a while. And you can even ask your men that they, we took real good care of them. Could you give us a little something for what we've done for you? And Nabal just mocks him. Oh, there's lots of people running away from their masters. Who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? By the way, at this point, David's already been anointed king. And David gets mad quickly. And he decides, I'm going to kill them all. Look at verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. And he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he's such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. I hope you husbands aren't like that in your house. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I'll come after you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. And she rode as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain. Behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned to me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and all, more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. The Bible talks about the danger of rash vows, doesn't it? When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey, and fell before David on her face, and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. His name means foolish, by the way. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. 
If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living and the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done this to my Lord, has done to my Lord according to all that the good he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. When the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had been nothing, not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. Abigail comes to David, and there's so much in here, and we don't have time to break it all down, but she pretty much says, God has already promised to take care of you and to make you king, and when this happens, you don't want this on your conscience. Abigail was the Holy Spirit to David. And he wisely recognized it. And he humbled himself and he said, God sent you. Now you have to realize at this point, they don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit that we have. And God has promised to lead us and to guide us. And we need to learn not to react in our first reaction, which is mostly wrong. As you've heard me say many times, I challenge you to show me in the Bible times where someone's first reaction was right. You ever noticed how often people's first reactions that they thought were righteous were wrong? Lord, tell my sister to help me. Actually, Mary's chosen the best thing. Lord, do you want us to call fire down on them? Lord, we saw people preaching in your name and they weren't part of our group. So we told them to stop in both of those situations. Jesus said you were wrong. I could go on. What about this waste? This money should have been given to the poor. Actually, what this woman has just done to me will be preached every time the gospel shared. I mean, I could go on and on. Our first, what we think is a righteous response, is most likely wrong. And we need to learn how to let the Spirit of God guide us. Oh, by the way, I don't have time to take you there, but later on in David's life, when he's running from his son Absalom, and he's heading down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and a guy named Shimei comes out and starts throwing rocks at him and cursing him. The men around David were like, do you want us to go cut his head off? And David calmly says, if he's cursing me, there's a chance that God's told him to do it. And I would be doing wrong to tell him to stop if God told him to do it. And if he's doing it on his own, God will deal with him. And, oh, listen, you're going to see this later tonight. He will also reward me for not dealing with it myself. Folks, this is going to take practice for all of us. It's going to be something we'll be learning to do more and more as we get further along in our walks with the Lord, but we need to become men and women who are able to not have our first reaction be the flesh, but to be the, or our first action be the flesh, but our first action be what the Spirit of God's told us to do in each and every situation. 
See, because what we try to do now is, is we then say, well, instead of you learning how to hear from the Spirit on an individual situation, let me just turn Christianity into a set of rules for you. In this situation, this is what you do. In this situation, this, no. If you've ever read the book I wrote on the principles of a God-centered church, the first principle is that God doesn't duplicate a method. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is preaching and the disciples come and they say, don't you realize what you said offended the Pharisees? And he says, who cares? Let them go. They're blind leaders of the blind. Yet, in another situation in John chapter 3, Jesus has the most loving conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. So how do you know how to treat Pharisees? You've got to let the Spirit of God show you in that instance what He wants you to do. Sometimes you just let them go. Other times you're to reach out to them in love. And you have to learn how to walk in the Spirit. Folks, I've said this before. I'm going to say it to you again. If you try to live by the Bible without the Holy Spirit, you'll mess up your life. And too many of us have been taught that the Bible is just a set of rules to follow as the Christian. No, this helps us recognize who's talking. But we need to be men and women who listen to the Spirit. So listen, I'm going to read it to you again. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Is that not how David received Abigail's words? He received it with meekness. He didn't say, I've already made a vow. Get out of my way. I need to be a man of my word. No, he meekly and humbly was, admit, was wise enough to acknowledge God sent you to keep me from doing something stupid. Oh, and by the way, as you learn this life of letting the Spirit speak through you, you're going to have to go to some people and say, I'm sorry, because you're not going to always do it right. And one of the best ways to show them that you're trying and learning to be a man or a woman who's led of the Spirit is to acknowledge in those times when you didn't do it, I didn't do it. You understand? That's one of the biggest things is learning how to say, I was wrong. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Start in verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Paul says, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, before we go any further, what comes to your mind when I read this to you again? That you are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. 
That sound like Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? That we're to daily offer our flesh, our body on the altar, and renew our minds, the transforming of our minds. Folks, this is something we have to daily acknowledge. My flesh wants to be in charge. And Lord, I want you to be in charge. And this isn't going to happen to you all of a sudden because you walked down an aisle and had a special preacher pray for you, and now all of a sudden you're going to walk in the Spirit. This is going to be something that daily and throughout the day you have to learn how to keep in step with Him. That's why in Galatians 5, Paul says this, So I say, if we are alive by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You can be made alive by the Spirit of God and be born again and not walk in the Spirit. So keep reading now in verse 25 of chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let corrupting, no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you're like me and you read that, you're like, I know I'm supposed to be like that, but that's not easy. It's actually impossible apart from Christ. Apart from the one who lives within you now, you still can't do it even though you're saved. You need Jesus to do it in and through you. And so when we grieve the Spirit, the Bible also in Thessalonians calls it quenching the Spirit. What it, when we grieve him is when we say, I'll handle this. And he hurts for us. That's why Jesus, when he rode into Jerusalem, by the way, I got to preach from the Mount of Olives in the spot as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley and all that. And it was such a cool thing. And that was the day right before Palm Sunday. But a lot of us don't know when he got there, he wept. He said, oh, Jerusalem, if you'd only known. If you'd only known what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. He was grieved for them because they missed out. And folks, we grieve the Holy Spirit a lot when we don't let him lead us and guide us. And so this is going to be a process that I pray that we will allow the Spirit of God to begin to walk us through. Have you ever noticed in that whole section that I just read to you in Ephesians 4 how this is all phrased as intentional actions on our part? due to our knowledge of God's Word. Did you catch that? There are actions that He wants for us, not just philosophical thinking. He wants us to act in certain ways, but we need to let the Spirit of God show us how, to play, how it plays out in each of those situations. Now look at verses 22 through 25 in James chapter 1. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and what? 
perseveres, continues, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, this, we're going to spend a little time here unpacking this. But he's just said that we are to let the Spirit of God speak to us before we speak. When our anger starts to get to us, we have to let the Spirit of God show us, is this a righteous anger? And if so, how do you want me to be anger, angry and not sin? At the same time, is this anger unnecessary? And am I am going to act in the wrong way? And we need to let the Lord show us how to speak and when to speak. And there's many ask, actions of walking in the Spirit. But he then goes on and he says, by the way, hearing what the Spirit says and not doing it doesn't do you any good. By the way, as you practice listening to the Spirit, you're actually going to recognize when He's talking more. But that doesn't mean you're going to do it. You know why? Because a lot of the stuff He asks us to do is scary and doesn't make sense. And we know better. I was just in, in Getty where David wrote a lot of psalms, but he also was hiding there when Saul and his men came to get him. And some of you remember the story how Saul went into the cave to go to the bathroom. And David and his men were hiding in the cave. And his men were saying, hey, this is the chance. God's brought him right here. You can kill him and be king now. And David said, no, 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 no. But to show Saul that he could have killed him, he went and cut a piece of his robe off. And then when... Uh, Saul goes out of the cave. David was convicted by the Spirit. He was grieved by what he had done. And the Holy Spirit told him to do something that I'd never thought about until I was there. Why was Saul at En Gedi? He was chasing David in order to do what? To kill him. Where is David right now? In a cave. How many exits are there to this cave? And the Spirit of God tells him to go stand at the mouth of the cave and tell Saul, you're sorry. Do you realize what would be going through our minds at that moment? Lord, if I do what you tell me to do, they're going to come running back up and we, we're trapped. He'll have found us. Do what I say. You see, we need to be not just hearers of the word, because the Spirit of God will use the word a lot to speak to you. But we're to be doers as well. And we need to persevere in this, because it's a daily struggle of being obedient to what God says. But what will happen to those who actually do what the Spirit says? They'll be what? They'll be rewarded. They'll be blessed in their doing. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. I could take the rest of tonight showing you many, many, many passages that talk about the blessings for those who obey God. Deuteronomy 28, look at verses 1 through 6. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 6. God says, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the, in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. 
Blessed shall you shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. He's already said, if you do what I say, you will be blessed. Now, stick with me here because I know where some of you are going and I don't want you to go there. But go to Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, verse 20. Proverbs 28, verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. I share this with you for this reason. We should obey God because God, our love for God. We shouldn't obey God for the blessings. Do you understand? When you obey God for the blessings, you're seeking the gift, not the giver. And God's made it very clear. If you're in this to get rich, if you're in this to get blessed, you won't go unpunished. Oh, by the way, I know that goes against a lot of preaching in American churches today, doesn't it? God wants me happy. God wants me blessed. And I want the blessed life. No, no, no. God determines blessing. And by the way, his blessings are better than what you even imagine. Because the, imagining, the things you're imagining right now for blessings are probably all stuff that would happen here and is going to disappear one day. I want the blessings that he has for me here because the Bible promises that, but he, I want the blessings that will accrue for eternity. So be careful that you don't do the word of God for the blessing. That's why Jesus said, don't do your good deeds to be seen by man. You've already gotten your reward. If your reason for doing it was so that man would notice, you've already gotten your reward. You got what you were looking for. But if you're doing it because you love the Lord, he's paying attention. And he doesn't miss a thing. Now go to James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he's, his, he is religious and he doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. By the way, does that not connect with what we just started in verse 19? How being quick to hear and slow to speak, that's the bridling of our tongue. We've got to keep it under the reins and only let it out when the Spirit of God's controlling the reins and not us. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, we're going to break that down in just a second, but truly religious people will be known for their love and their concern for others, not their fancy or hurtful words. Today, as in past times as well, people that wanted you to think that they were religious were the kind who talked a good game but rarely lived it. By the way, this is a great way for us to practice bridling our tongue. I have this problem too. You have it. When you actually do the right thing the right way, you want to tell people. I mean... If you actually got up this morning and spent a little time with the Lord, it just, somehow it comes out. Oh, this morning when I was having my quiet time, 
you know what? If you had a quiet time, they'll know without you telling them. You understand what I'm saying? If you truly had a real quiet time and you let the Lord work in you, they'll know without you telling them. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, his heart is deceived. And this person's religion is worthless. True religion is a concern for others and living a life that's not polluted by the world. See, we could turn verse 27 into a new law. I have to now go take care of widows and orphans. No, 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 that's not what it's saying. It's saying true religion, someone who's really religious, will be someone that the Spirit of God controls, and you will be known for your love and your concern for the others, especially those who the world doesn't think is important, and you won't live a life that's stained by the world. But again, do we focus on our actions? Or do we focus on what? On the Spirit, letting Him be in control. And letting Him live His life through us. It's very easy to live more for self than for God and others. And let me just use some religious leaders as an example. Go to Jude, verses 3 and 4, and then verses 10 through 16. Jude 3 and 4, and then verses uh, 10 through 16. If you don't know about the book of Jude, he had planned on writing about this awesome gospel and salvation we had received, but there were a lot of religious leaders at that time who were false teachers, and he describes these wicked people in very interesting ways. Look at verses 3 and 4. He said, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 10. These people, they blaspheme all they don't understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. They've abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Keep reading. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about, also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, Following their own sinful desires, they are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Now, I hate to tell you how many people that I've pastored over the years came to mind as I read those verses. And they were church leaders, but they were wanting to be in charge. But they were gaining their glory by defending the church. When actually they were, I think it was put pretty well, grumblers, malcontents, 
following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. By the way, has anybody had that thought yet come through their mind tonight? You know, it might be really good not to talk. Has that come through anybody's mind? If you're hearing this, you should probably have at least once tonight had the thought, you know what? I think it'd be good not to talk at all. Actually, that's not a bad place to start from. It's really not. Let me give you a fun verse that I was going to end with, but we're going to jump there now. Go to Proverbs 17. Then we're going to come back and look at these false teachers again and beware of some of the things that they have done that we do. But go to Proverbs 17. Look at verses 27 and 28. This is a great passage for many of us. Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. When I was in Israel, the guide, Naftali, who is leading our group, who lives there in Israel, a wonderful man. The Jew, who I believe has come to faith. And he had an understanding and wisdom. And I watched when people would ask him questions, he would just smile. And you could see him letting the Spirit of God showing him how to say what he was going to say. Every single time. Now, a lot of us, when we're asked questions, our first thing is, I want to tell you how quick I can come up with that answer. Hey, Jim, how about this? Hey, here's my answer for you right here. And I want to be impressive how quick I can pull up the answer. But Naftali would just look at you with a little smile, and, he, and you could tell he was talking to the Lord, and the Lord was showing him how to answer it. I even went up to him near the end of the trip and said, we're your favorite group, aren't we? And he went, well, and that's all he said. Let me say this. I need this. You need this. So let's start with, I'm going to try not to speak. That doesn't mean we should never speak. But that'll be the best way to start bridling the tongue. And then, I want to be one of those people, and there have been these men in, in every church I've been at, and even some ladies, but I deal more with the men, especially in some of the elders' meetings and things like that. There's always been those men that... The whole time the meeting is going on, there's lots of people that have lots of opinions. And that one individual will be sitting in the corner of the room and not saying anything the whole time. And finally, you turn to that person and say, Bob, Jerry, whoever, what do you think? And you're wanting to hear from them because they have been praying and processing and letting the Spirit speak to them. And usually when that person finally speaks up, everybody else in the room was like, that's actually the right answer right there. We wasted a whole hour debating it. Yes is yes, and but in order to make your yes is yes and your no is no, you have to stop talking. How many parents have made promises? If you don't knock that off, I'm going to take your arm off and beat you with it. Well, kids, no, you don't mean that. Go to Matthew 23. Go to Matthew 23. Look at verses 1 through 12. I hope you're okay with the... Uh, um, 
me just preaching to myself and you guys listening tonight. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you're all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who's in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. For years, I have not liked being called pastor or reverend. And many people say, well, that's just how I was raised. And, and I always jokingly say, but I don't call you parking lot attendant, or I don't call you sound man. You know, I don't call you choir person. You know, that's just the roles that we have. We're all brothers. Call me Jim. Oh, I couldn't call you Jim. You're a, you're a reverend. You're a pastor. Just call me Jim. We have one master, one Lord, and we're all family. We all have different parts and roles, but folks, I hope you don't think you have to call me something special because I struggle enough with wanting man's approval. I don't need your help. And it will help me if you call me Jim. Go to Matthew 23, verses 23 through 28. Matthew 23, 23 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, stop. Does anybody know what the word hypocrite means and where it comes from? Very good, I heard it. It's what? It's an actor. Back, exactly, theater face. Back in the time of the Greek, when they would, they would put on plays, the actors were all men. So even if they played a woman, they would just put a, a different type of a mask in front of their face. And that was a hypocrite. They were pretending to be something they weren't. You understand? So he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. I mean, we're not chucking the tithing and all that stuff. But you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now let me caution you right here. This is where you need to not only let the Holy Spirit have your tongue, but you need to let the Holy Spirit have your thoughts. Because who is the only one who is able to speak to these men right to where they were? Jesus. 
And I can show you what I mean by that by taking you to 1 Corinthians 4. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. This is going to be very, very important to us. Even though we're sure we're right, I'm going to show you something. God showed me from a, a passage I love to quote, but the today when I was talking with a, a man in South Carolina, this passage came to my mind and we, 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 we chewed on it. Look what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, Paul said, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Remember how Jude says, watch out for these types of people, but he didn't name names. And Paul makes this statement here. He says, look, we're all to be found faithful, but I don't care if I'm being judged by other people. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't know of anything against myself, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. In other words, what Paul said was, I don't even fully know my own heart. So would you not agree that you still are learning a lot about your own heart? Things you didn't know? Well, then if there's things about you that you didn't know that the Holy Spirit's teaching you in your journey with him, who are you to think you know what's really going on in someone else's heart? We have to be careful now that we don't want to become like Jesus in the fact that we now are going to decide who the hypocrites are here. Well, I know, but boy, you're just tempting me right now. I just let the Holy Spirit keep me from zinging you. So I'm letting it go from there. Of course, I just lost my points because I pointed out that I let the Holy Spirit do it. But let me, we all got to work on this. Let me tell you what I'm saying, though, is this. You even have to let the Holy Spirit learn to control your thoughts. When those fleshly thoughts come, and they will come, you need to let the Holy Spirit teach you how to get those under control before they even make your tongue. And that means we're going to have to become men and women who are a lot quieter until the Spirit of God is allowed to speak. And then, guess what? People will want to hear what you have to say. And one of the biggest issues that I see in the church today, and especially nowadays, is the church tearing each other apart over opinions and views and politics and righteous living versus unrighteous living. Folks, these things ought not to be. We should be known for our love. The fact that we aren't polluted by the world, but that doesn't have to be announced by you. It'll be obvious. The fact that we actually care more about others than we do ourselves. This is true religion. So what we're going to do in closing tonight is this. I'm going to read this passage to you again and see if it doesn't read a little bit different now. Know this, my beloved Brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, no matter how much we think it does. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word when you hear it, and the Spirit speaks, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is just a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, if anyone thinks he's religious and he doesn't have control of his tongue, he deceives his heart. The person's religious religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How many of you, after tonight's lesson, are going to do this perfectly from now on? Not me either. Not me either. With that in mind, let's give each other a little grace in those days and those times when we slip. And let's love each other in the process. And I am not kidding you. You watch how people around you, even those who don't know the Lord, who are watching you, they are. You don't realize it. They are. Watch how they will start to notice the difference. They've heard lots of talk. Now it's time for them to hear the Lord, because when we let the Spirit of God take control of our tongues, what are they going to hear out of us but God's Word himself to them? I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.